today, I just wanted to begin by asking you a rhetorical question here uh, that you can, we can kind of just meditate on a little bit. Have you ever felt like there was something that you knew was not wrong to do, but for you, you should not do it? And so I think Paul wants to just share with us a little bit today about the matters of the conscience. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 14, verse 10 through 13, we'll look at these scriptures as our scripture reference this morning uh, to share this message, the matter of the conscience. Here's what it reads. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in your brother's way. Well, this particular passage, Paul is sharing with the Christians in Rome the essence of Christian liberty. When we hear that term Christian liberty, many thoughts can run through our mind. Maybe freedom is, more, is the more prominent thought, freedom to worship, freedom to from sin, freedom from religious legalism, the same things that our country was founded on and we desired to bring to this nation. And you would be largely correct if you read other scriptures on liberty. However, most of those passages come with a cautionary statement. As we look at Galatians 5.13, it says, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. We also see in 1 Peter 2.16 as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of righteousness, but as the servants of God. See, these cautionary statements speak to our heart about Christian liberty. And it is summed up and wrapped up in the understanding that our liberty or freedom is not just for us, but for us to, by love, serve one another. So what is Paul saying here in verse 10 when he says again, but, by, but why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Why do you judge? Why do you show contempt? See, this particular passage is an attitude of the heart. And how can you, how, how we place ourselves in the seat of judgment and contempt towards our own brothers and sisters? Why are we trying to bind them, the ones that Jesus has set free? See, we have seen much of this in the past concerning the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews greatly judged the Gentiles, and the Gentiles had great contempt for the Jews with their judgmental attitude. 
But Paul is asking the question, why do you? Now, why do you do this? Why would you even consider to do this now? You are Christians. So especially in an indirect way, Paul is saying, stop worrying about your brother and what he is doing. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So Christian liberty means freedom from sin, yes. But it also means freedom from man's judgment. But accountability to Christ. Accountability to him who is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. This accountability comes through the Holy Spirit's conviction upon our lives. Through God's standard being revealed to us, which is his holy word. Now let's talk a little bit about his word. In the life of the believer, there are many areas of our life the word of God will speak directly to and give us clear direction on. There are others that are not so clearly spelled out. This is where our conscience comes in. These deep convictions will be just as evident and strong for us when we allow the Holy Spirit, when we allow God to speak to our hearts. So much so that if we went against this conviction, it would be an act of sin for us. This was also the case for the believers in the early church. In this particular chapter, Paul talks about it a little bit. For what are some of the things that they dealt with? One of them is what they would eat. Their behavior on particular days or whether or not to observe particular days. And so Paul was encouraging them not to judge their brother because they had a conviction about what they ate. Not to judge your brother because you have a conviction about what you observe on this day. But that Christ whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Let Christ, let God convict them on these things that are doubtful. But maybe there are some modern examples that we can see that even today. So I thought about what are some of the examples that we could fall into this area of judging our brother or having contempt for our brother because we have a conviction. We have a strong belief about it in our lives. So let's begin. Whether or not to stand or sit during the national anthem, whether or not to drink alcohol, should there be food in the sanctuary or not? Raising your finger or not when you leave in service. How you should fast. Whether it's fruit, whether it's days, whether it's this, whether it's that. Cutting or not cutting your hair. King James only. See, there's many things that can be convictions for us can cause our conscience to be a certain way. But it doesn't mean that God is holding someone else 
that same conviction. These can be important matters, but more important, these are matters of the conscience. Some would say, no, they're not, Pastor. I believe. Yes, you're correct. That's a matter of your conscience. You should not go against it. Because Romans chapter 14, verse 5 and 6 says this. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. That's your conscience. Are you convinced in your own mind? You are. Don't go against that. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. See, Paul's talking about that. The key part there is that each be fully convinced. Let it be a conviction of your heart. Step out in it. See, here's what conscience uh, means as we described it. Conscience is a sense, a feeling, or faculty that makes you aware of a moral goodness, blameworthiness of your own actions, intentions, or character. We ask ourselves the question, can I do something in good conscience? Or am I convicted not to? See, the biblical meaning of conscience in the Bible is a moral consciousness that compares an action with a standard. You know what that standard is? God's standard. A part of that standard, he says, to love your neighbor. So as we're loving our neighbor, we have a conviction of something. Are we forcing that and pushing that on our neighbor when there's not a conviction? And it's, and it's not clearly a wrong in Scripture that we can see. And Paul's going to talk a little bit later about how we can make a stumbling block. People, when we try to give our conviction to be their conviction. Try to have our standard when it comes to what God has told us to be their standard. God has given us a conscience to guide us, but not to dictate us. See, he does that with us. So he challenges us not to do that to others in doing what is right. The conscience matters. Yes, what is on the person's heart is important. We're not supposed to turn away from that. But that does not mean that's going to be the same for everybody in every circumstance and in every situation. 
And so it's important for us to guard and ask ourselves that question, has God told this to me or is it for everybody? There are things that God has clearly said no on, told us not to do for everybody. But there are areas that we are challenged to be fully convinced in our own mind. And when we are, we don't go against that conviction. See what Romans 14, 23 says, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats. If you're doubting whether or not you should do it, don't do it. Because he does not eat from faith, but for whatever is not from faith is sin. That we step out trusting God, knowing that we have, we've been fully convinced. I believe this will be the case for all of us in some areas of our lives. That God will speak to our heart and convict us on doing something and not doing something. That won't have a whole lot to do with anybody else. And so we have to be willing and to make allowances for that. Look what 1 Corinthians 6, 12 says. It says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. That word also means profitable. Just because you can do it don't mean you should. It goes on to say, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the authority, excuse me, under the power of any. The word means authority. And so if there's something in your life that you know that it's going to cause you to be controlled by it, cause you to go down a road you shouldn't go down, just because you can do it, I want to be under authority of anything but Christ and Christ. So in issues like these, Paul is willing to leave it up to the conscience of the individual. But whatever we do, we must be able to do it to the Lord. That's what he says in the word. It means to be approved and in agreement with the Lord. But not using conscience as an excuse for obvious sinful behavior. And we say, well, I'm not convicted by that. Try to just kind of brush it off. We kind of rationalize with it. We tell ourselves a rational lie. Not being convicted because of our conscience, a lot of times, has been hurt. Our, you know, there's been things in our life that has caused us to feel indifferent or, or be abused by certain things. It's marked us in a way that we just kind of become insensitive to the Holy Spirit moving in our life. See, Paul talked about that a little bit to, in, to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4. Look what he says. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. 
forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Become hard-hearted, having their own conscience seared. See, that phrase, having their conscience seared with a hot iron is a biblical illusion. That means having one's conscience branded with a mark. Maybe there's an issue in life, there's a past, I branded you. You say, I'm never going to let that happen again. Maybe there's been somebody that you've been long-suffering with, you labored with, you've given yourself over to, you tried to be patient with them and to keep doing the same thing over and over, over again. And before you know it, I get in a little hard. Start getting a little seared. Say, I'm not going to take that anymore. Before you know it, you're not responding the way God would want you to respond. And we can justify it and say, they wrong. They did all these things. So God is challenging us to not allow our conscience to be seared. See, the phrase is used to describe a person whose conscience has been hurt multiple times, that it develops scar tissue, making it rigid, stiff, dead of feeling. We go, this is right and this is wrong. Look at people through those, those lens. We don't see the compassion of Christ that while we were he died for us. He still gave of himself when we were So he challenges us not to do the same. We are light and salt in this world. We are not to lose our labor, attractiveness. In us. Now, if our conscience is convicted in a certain way or on a certain thing, what do you do with it concerning others? Should you should we make our command someone else's? We are not careful to God with our commands and not others. We will quickly begin to judge others. Have you ever had the thought you were watching someone? Jesus, I can't believe. No, they wrong. See, I have to admit that I dealt with this uh, for a long time concerning alcohol. Never saw it do anything in my eye of benefit. seemed to be such a destructive thing in my family's life, where it ruined marriages, it ruined family structures. And so for me, when I was, you know, you know got to the age, had one drink in my entire life.
put those thoughts in the back of my mind and seeing what it do, did to me as far as, you know, kind of losing my faculties a little bit. Didn't want to have anything to do with it. But I started projecting that to others. Calling it in my mind a sin. It can lead to that. I want you to know that very clearly. But in and of itself, as I'm reading scripture and I'm studying the word, I, 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 I well, Jeff, you can add to it. Take it away, but it's not clear. But I also believe that it's, it's, it's a conviction for many. Because of the destructive nature, because it tells us not to lose our faculties, that we want to have a clear head, we want to be sober-minded. And sometimes we can not handle it properly. But I had to admit that there's a level of legalism that I was having. Because here's what we, when we explain that idea of legalism, we understand the objective legalism when we're trying to do it for salvation or to earn our salvation. We get that part, that you can't earn it. You can't do all these things to earn your salvation, that it's a free gift of God, not of works, least any man can boast. But what we don't think about is subjective legalism. It's a new term. But it kind of means a legal or moral position that relies on one's own personal interpretation of the law or the code, rather than on the objective or conventional standard, God's standard, what his word is clearly saying. And so I was subjectively saying, you're wrong, you're sinning. God dealt with me on that. My desire, I'd just be plain as that none of us would. But I have to be able to be willing to step back and let every man be convinced in his own mind. I'm not God. He is. So where judgment comes in is when we try to apply that subjective legalism to others as the standard. Must God against that. Well, why do we do this? Well, the first thing that came to mind is rightism. We have a big problem with rightism. We want to be right all the time. We want to have all the answers. We can easily place ourselves in Christ's judgment seat when we do that. His seat. Which is reserved for him. He gets to do it. But I know probably in, in your mind and in my mind I've thought about it, but there's a lot of trappings out there for people and We've learned a couple things. These gray hairs didn't come for no reason, right? That there are certain behaviors that we can share with others to help them 
not make the same mistakes, not go down some of the roads. Because the reality of it is, I believe that everything in this world is addictive but God. He's the only one that says, choose you this way. And so there's moderation, there's carefulness, there's discernment that we all must, must have in this world. Otherwise, we'll get carried away from something we're trying to do. And we can so want to help others around us. And so, yes, we should advise, we should warn, we should share our wisdom, but not judge and have contempt for others. Because we'll all stand for him, each and every one of us. See, the end of that verse, verse 13 says this, but rather resolve this. Not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. If we're not careful, we can do that. And they hear something from Pastor Jeff, or they hear something from one of us, and they take it so seriously, they take it such, they take it like it's the gospel. It becomes a stumbling block. And they're so perplexed over trying to overcome that thing that God never placed in front of them. Don't put our self-imposed laws on them. Create stumbling blocks. Cause for your brother to fall. See, I heard, uh, yesterday at the men's breakfast, uh, we were talking and we got on this subject a little bit. And one of the gentlemen that came, uh, actually a, a friend, a visitor, uh, he gave this illustration. The illustration I thought was, was just wonderful. He shared about an experiment that was done with 12 monkeys. They put these 12 monkeys in this habitat and they had trees within this habitat. And the monkeys immediately when they saw the trees, they started running up the trees and they was grabbing onto the trees. But those that were doing the experiment, each time they would climb the tree, they would douse them with water, or they would electrically shock them each time they would climb the tree. And after a while, the, the, the monkeys learned that they're going to get in trouble if they climb the tree. So they stopped climbing the tree. Then they took six of the monkeys out, and they introduced six new ones. And so when they introduced the six new ones, the six new ones started climbing the trees, and the other six that had been experienced to this don't do started pulling them down. And each time another new monkey went up, they would pull them down. I, you know, I don't know how monkeys talk, but they got a strong talking to. And before you know it, these monkeys didn't climb the tree. So the, one, the six that were still left who had experienced this treatment they took those six out and they put six new monkeys in the habitat. And guess what the other six did? The six monkeys that had no idea why they couldn't go in the tree, they started pulling them down. Before you know it, they all eventually followed the same law. See, if we're not careful, we can be the same way. Subjective legalism. Not following God, but following man. 
that brings us to how we should receive each other. Paul says this in Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things, not disputing over things that were not clear. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. See, Paul was warning us not to make spiritual, make spiritual maturity a requirement for fellowship. He says, receive those who are weak. We should distinguish between someone who is weak and someone who is rebellious. There is a difference. It's so important to remember to make room for each other to grow in our faith. The term weak in the faith means one whose faith is not fully matured. We all have been there. Some reasons for this that our faith is not fully mature is we may be a new Christian. Just came. Have you ever said some stuff and folks looked at you like, what are you talking about? And we just thought they would know because everybody knows that, right? It's a process. Weak in the face can also, can also mean sick by legalism, hard to break, or still having feelings that they should not do certain things. Do you know that there's many people that have been so just, entangled by their past religious legalism that they're not going to immediately get over everything. They're still going to need some time. As the truth is revealed, we understand and we grow. It took a minute for me to raise my hands in church because, my, you know, and y'all know I love my grandmother. My grandmother was a God-fearing woman. But she, she told me, because we would go and the pastor would be, you know, got his leg up and he would be preaching, huh? And everybody would be shouting. And she, would, she said, son, I know the Lord's called you, but you better not be up there acting a fool. It don't take all that. You better be, you preach the word. I'm be going crazy. And that stuck with me a little bit. I'm like... For me to raise my hands in church, it took a minute, you know. So it's important that we give room for one another. And maybe we've lacked sound doctrinal teaching. Just haven't understood fully correctly sometimes. We need time. Or maybe we just haven't walked it out yet. We know it. The process of exercising our faith, building our muscle in those areas. So he reminds us not to dispute or argue over things that are doubtful in the gray area of, of individuals' lives. Give room, give time. And so I'd like to sum up with this in these matters of the consciousness. Paul is reminding us two key points. First one is there is the law of liberty. We look at Romans 14, verse 3 and 4. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. Let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. Don't judge the vegans. Judge 
the non-pork eaters, don't judge us that eat pork. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another's servant? Take liberty. Our judgment is reserved for our master. To his own master, he shall stand or fall. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make God's able. God is the one that's doing the work. God is bringing it all about, the transformation process. God will do the work in him and her, just like he is transforming us into the image of Christ day by day. Trust that God is able. Sometimes we can be short-sighted with that. We can be like, I, got, oh, I know I can fix him. We'll trust the Lord. Second, there is the law of love. Romans 14, 14 through 15. I know and I am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, got some convictions that are not the same as yours. If your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love, flaunting it in his face, telling, you got to get over that. Christ died for that. And all those may be true statements. All in the same place at the same time. We all don't all have the same convictions about the same thing. Make room for one another. Love one another that way. Don't just push it on each other. Care for each other. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. You know, the Holy Spirit is very good about convicting. You know, sometimes we may think we need to be the ones doing that for folks. Spirit can do it. The Word of God can do it. The Word of God will use us as opportunities to share light and salt, and it'll convict. The Word of God convicts. We're able to share it. We don't need to be the ones that's trying to bring that about. Nothing is unclean of itself. Nothing God created. But there is a process in which things can become unclean to us and be unholy. And it is exactly for that purpose Christ died. That we have the moments to share light. Bring that a conviction. So we are charged to love each other and not grieve each other. To walk in love, to be sensitive that it can go both ways. 
We can be free from something that we thought was unclean, and we can be convicted that something we thought was clean is unclean. That we once did, but we should not do it anymore. That we would show love for each, each other by laying down our lives. Not just sharing what we think about it. John 15, 13, great love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Saints of God, our conscience matters. Paul tells us that each one of us will give account of himself. Romans 14, 12, so then each of us shall give account of himself to God. The judgment seat that belongs to Christ, the Bema seat. See, look, look, listen to that. For a believer, the judgment seat of Christ is for reward, not condemnation. Final thoughts. God wants to have a personal relationship with each and every one of us and will speak to your heart on the matters that he has presented to you. For you to discern whether it is good or evil and are you doing it in faith to the Lord or not. Confidence before him. In agreement with him. Just like Jesus, when he came to Peter, Jesus asked him the same question several times. He said, do you love me? Do you love me? Afterwards, Jesus told him, shared with him his future about how he would suffer. The scripture says, signifying by what death he would glorify. Directly spoke this to Peter. And of course, Peter had a reaction. Peter had a, a, you know, something that kind of was like, wait a minute now, that's kind of tough. And we see this in John 21. Peter saw the one that put his head on his chest. I believe Peter was conflicted by this thing that Jesus had told him. That he looked at John and said, what about John? Jesus responds, if John remains until I return, if he never dies, never have any confliction, that have to do come and go. Matters of God. Watch him get all the glory. 